morning. So as Keith said earlier, today we're starting a new sermon series on the book of Ephesians. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, I encourage you to open up to it now. It's a little tiny book right after Galatians and right before Philippians in the New Testament. It's not a long book, but I'm guessing it'll take us at least through the end of the summer to give it the attention that it deserves. Recently, I heard someone say, if you want a group of Christians to really understand who they are, a great place to start is the book of Ephesians. And that comment intrigued me because I think we live in a time where people are really focused on self-discovery. Right? People kind of have this way of seeing their lives where they see it as a journey of discovering who they are and what they're meant to do. And for people who are curious about those kinds of questions, the book of Ephesians offers needed perspective for us. So, uh, before we read, let me offer a little bit of background information about this book. It is a letter, not really a book, even though we call it a book. It was probably written in the early 60s AD. We don't know that for sure, but I think that's uh, the most, most likely the case based on what I've read. Uh, it was uh, almost certainly written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, in prison in Rome. Uh, and when you think of him being in prison, you don't want to think of him as being in this cold, dank cell uh, where he can't do anything at all. Obviously, he was able to write and send people from where he was to somewhere else to deliver this letter. Um, he was more under what we might consider house arrest or something like that. Uh, but he was still very limited in what he could do and where he could go. Uh, because his preaching had caused some, some controversy, caused a bit of a stir in the Roman Empire. And uh, this was written to the church in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. But it's a little different than most of Paul's letters to specific communities, because when we look at most of Paul's letters, you can tell that he's addressing certain issues in the congregation that there's some sort of conflict or problem that he feels a need to address. But when we read the book of Ephesians, there's not some clear problem that Paul is dealing with. It seems like Paul was motivated to write something that would be relevant for believers in every church, anywhere, that could be passed all over the Roman Empire. And he happened to write it specifically to Ephesus, but with the intention that it would just be for everyone. So it's very relevant for us in a, in a, in a way, um, all, all scripture is relevant, but Ephesians is, it, Paul's trying to say things that are true of everybody, everywhere. All right, so before we get into this, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this hot, summery day, and we pray that over the next uh, half an hour or so, you would help us to attend to your word, that you would help us to be open to hear from you, to receive whatever it is that your spirit wants to speak to us. We thank you for these scriptures, Lord. Uh, help us just to, to focus now. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right, that is a lot to absorb, isn't it? Paul is writing in a style that most editors would have no tolerance for, okay? Uh, when I was in grammar school, I remember I was told, no run-on sentences. At max, you can have one conjunction in a, in a sentence, but, but no more. So either Paul never learned that rule, or he didn't care about it. And actually, our English translations don't even reveal how much Paul didn't care about that rule, because our English translations insert grammar, in the original Greek, verses 3 through 14, so everything but the first two verses that I read, are one sentence. It's the second longest sentence in the Bible. The other one is another one from Paul. Um, it's 202 words. Crazy, right? So why is it like that? Why write like that? Well, I think there's a clue in the first words of the passage. Praise be! to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is writing here is an expression of praise. It is a overflow of his heart. When you are overflowing with thankfulness, you're not that concerned about punctuation and grammar, right? You just, it just bursts out of you. And, and that is what we should hear going on here with Paul. We should see joy radiating off the page. So let's talk about what Paul is so excited about. He says that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, with every spiritual blessing. <clears throat> now I want us to notice that the kind of blessing that Paul is talking about here is not what many people think of when they hear that word blessed. Right? When people hear the word blessed, they tend to think of physical blessings in the physical realm. A nice new car, a beautiful home, a beautiful yard, a job promotion, right? Hashtag blessed, posted on social media. But when Paul has this overflow of praise, 
He doesn't say anything about those kinds of things. Praise God for uh, my stables filled with horses. You know, nothing like that. And it would be weird if he did, because in the first century, the church was not wealthy. They did not have wealth, and they did not have power. They were a persecuted minority. You know, many of the people who joined the early church were considered the least of society. The poor, the forgotten, the widows, the orphans. These people would not have been considered blessed in the physical realm. And of course, Paul would not have been considered blessed in the physical realm. He's writing this from prison. But Paul says we should praise God because we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And what he means is that we have been blessed in ways that might not be obvious, but are better than the ways that are obvious. You know, spiritual blessings are things like peace, hope, contentment, a clean conscience. Those kinds of things are worth more than all of the wealth and the power in the world. Over the last month, a lot of people have been following the defamation trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Um, I've read a little bit about it. And of course, you know, people argue about what that trial has or has not proved. But I think everyone should be able to agree that it has proved one thing, for sure, which is that people can have every physical blessing in the physical realm and still be miserable. You know, all the physical blessings in the world cannot buy you love and respect. They cannot remove your need for a good therapist. Uh, they cannot free you from the chain of drugs and alcohol. They can't bring peace, hope, contentment, or clean conscience. The spiritual blessings are the ones that matter most. And Paul says that God has given us everyone. And then he goes on to describe some of these spiritual blessings in more detail. So let's look closely at them. I've made a list of, of five of them. One, he has chosen us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And what I really want to emphasize with this one is those last three words, in his sight. It doesn't just say he has chosen us to be holy and blameless, but he's chosen us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Paul is not assuming that everyone he's writing to is faultless. He doesn't think that he's writing to a community of perfect people. What he's saying is that God has chosen to see us as blameless. Not that we objectively have no flaws, but that God has chosen to view us that way. If any of you have ever been wronged by somebody that you love, you know that you have a choice. You can either see their sin or you can see the person that you love. Right? And what this is saying is that God has chosen to see us as people that he loves in spite of our wrongdoing. He's definitely not saying that God is naive. Okay, God knows our sin better than we do. He knows the depths of it. But he's chosen not to hold it against us. So this is the kind of blessing that can ease a troubled conscience. 
right? The kind of blessing that can help us if we're having anxiety about death and, and what comes next. That God has chosen to see us as holy and blameless. All right, second spiritual blessing. He has predestined us to be adopted into his family. Predestined us to be adopted into his family. You might have noticed that the text actually says specifically to be adopted into sonship. And that might have led you to wonder, okay, well, why not daughtership too? Is God only interested in having sons? That doesn't seem right. Seems sexist. Well, the reason is because adoption to sonship meant that you were the recipient of the family inheritance. Back in those days, it was only the sons that received the inheritance. So Paul is not saying that daughters are not welcome in the kingdom. He's saying that both males and females have the full rights of sons in God's family. It's a beautiful thing, especially for, for that time period. <clears throat> Now, when you think about it, if we are adopted into God's family, and that means that we are the recipients of the inheritance, the family inheritance, that's quite a massive inheritance because God technically is the owner of everything. <laughs> so the mind kind of boggles at what this is saying. I also love this language of adoption because it reminds us that God does not want us to feel like orphans in the universe, right? When we think of the source of all creation, what's behind reality, we're not supposed to think of it as some impersonal force like gravity or electricity. We're not supposed to think of some impenetrable mystery that we can't understand at all. We're supposed to think of a loving parent. Paul writes in, in another book that we studied last summer, the book of Galatians, that when the Holy Spirit is in us, it leads us to cry out, Abba, right? To see the one, the creator, the source of all as dad, a father. The third spiritual blessing. We have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of sins. When this was written, the word redemption had connotations that it doesn't have today. I mean, I hear the word redemption today, and the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, taking my cans to the grocery store to get my five cents for each one of them. <laughs> but redemption had much deeper meaning in those days. Uh, when, when somebody was redeemed, it was somebody who was in captivity in some way, and then someone paid the ransom to get them out. So, like if somebody was a slave in those days, slavery was very common. Uh, if somebody had enough money and had the will, they could buy that slave for a price from the master, and then if they wanted to, they could just set them free. And that act would be called redemption. So, what Paul is saying here is that God has paid the price to set us free from our slavery. And he did that when Jesus died on the cross. What he has set us free from is the guilt of our sin. That guilt is like a, like a prison cell. But Jesus' blood shed on the cross unlocks that prison door and throws it wide open. Fourth spiritual blessing. 
He revealed the mystery of his will. You know, people often wonder, what is God's will? It's probably one of the questions that pastors get asked the most. What is God's will for my life? What does God really want? And Paul says that that question ultimately has been answered. And the answer he gives, I love this, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, right now, when we look at the world, we can see that everything is not operating in complete unity, right? A lot of disunity, a lot of injustice, a lot of violence, a lot of hatred. There's people who have far more than they could ever need, and people who struggle to have what they do need. And what Paul is saying is that God has a plan to, to heal this broken, messed up world, to bring unity um, the, the biblical world is to bring, word is to bring shalom, to bring peace to creation. And the way that God is doing that is through Christ. What Christ did and is doing and will do is the way that this world is going to be brought to unity, to shalom, to peace. And as Christ's life shows us, the way that Christ is doing that is not through violent force or coercion or through the acquisition of political power, right? The way he's doing it is through the way of the cross, through the way of sacrificial love. Not by killing his enemies, but by dying for them. This is the mystery of God that has been revealed, that God plans to bring this messed up world to, uni to unity through the sacrificial love of Jesus and through people who follow that same pattern with their lives. And then finally, one more, number five. Twice, Paul emphasizes that God has given us grace. One time he, he says that God has given grace to us freely, and another time he used the word, he uses the word lavishly. Now what is grace? Well, grace is favor, kindness. And what, and what Paul is saying is that God has this, this love for us, and this love is not half-hearted, it is not stingy. It is, it, it's overflowing. It's better than we can imagine, free and lavish. So, you know, that is quite a list, right? These are the spiritual blessings that we have, chosen to be holy and blameless in God's sight, adopted into his family, Redeemed, bought out of slavery through his blood. We've been let in on the mystery of how God is working to bring shalom, to bring peace to the world. And we have been shown love, shown grace freely and lavishly. Wonderful blessings. But there's, there's something in this passage that I have not emphasized yet. There is a, a and it, it relates to all of this. So, there's a phrase that you might have noticed keeps coming up again and again. Two words. Does anyone know what it is? Comes up at least nine times. That's, I think that's twice. It's in Christ. Or in him. Or through him. Over and over again, Paul 
uses this phrase. Um, I counted nine times, but I did it quickly, so I might have missed some. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? God shows us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In who? In Christ. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. It's not quite the same as in Christ, but basically. right? Paul says that God's grace is freely given to us in the one He loves. Who's the one He loves? It's Christ. In Christ. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. In who? In Christ. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Once again, in who? In Christ. In Him we were also chosen... Oh, sorry. Whoops. I missed one. Anyway, you get the idea. Right? Okay. So, the reason that Paul keeps on using that phrase is because he wants us to know that the spiritual blessings come to us through Christ, right? They come to us through what Christ has done and through our believing in what Jesus has done. Through what Christ has done and through our believing in what Jesus has done. You know, apart from knowing Jesus, we might have some sort of vague intuition or hope that there is a God who loves us. But if we are just observing the natural world around us and trying to figure out, is there a God who cares about us? I would say the jury's out. Right? Because you can see some evidence of it. You can see the, the beauty of creation. And, um, there's, there's a lot of, of good things to enjoy in creation. right? But you can also look at the world and see a lot of ugliness and a lot of sin and a lot of evil. Right? So, so the jury's out. But when we know Jesus, when we recognize Jesus as God in the flesh, the love of God is revealed to us. These blessings are revealed to us. Right? Through, Je through Jesus we see God suffering and dying on a cross for our sake. If Jesus is God in the flesh, then we can have faith that he sees us as blameless before him. right? And that he welcomes us into his family. But without Christ, where is our hope for that? What is it other than just some vague intuition or hope with no grounding? In Christ, the character of God is revealed. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. In Christ, we are welcomed into God's family. Now, one of the reasons that it is so important to pay attention to those two little words is because if we don't, we're not going to be able to understand some other words in the passage. And the two I have in mind are chosen and predestined. These may be trigger words for some of us. Chosen and predestined. Paul says that God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Now, if you are like me, those words, chosen and predestined, are a little bit concerning. Because what many people hear when they hear those words is that God chose and predestined some people to receive 
all these blessings, but not other people. And apparently this was all decided before the creation of the world, before any of us even existed. And if you're like me, that makes you uncomfortable. Right? For me, it creates this image of God in my mind, you know, before the creation of the world, and he's thinking, all right, I've got, you know, however many trillion possible universes that I could create, and uh, I'm going to create a world where about 200 billion people come to exist. And you know what? I'm going to lavish grace on some of them, and I'll let others go to hell, right? And so he goes, okay, I'm going to go through the list of those 200 billion people. I see everything in one eternal moment. So, okay, um, Joe, uh, Joe Schmo, who lives in uh, Peoria, Illinois, born in 1963. Yeah, I'll lavish grace on that guy. Okay. Um, George Johnson from Des Moines, born in 1902. Nah, he can go to hell. And God goes through the whole list of 200 billion people, right, that he plans on, he create, on creating. He, he makes his sovereign decisions. And then, bang, he creates the world, and the whole thing just plays out. Everything's predetermined until we get to the end, right? Some people end up saved. Some people end up condemned. Now, I don't know about you, but that story does not inspire me doesn't inspire me to praise, which is what is going on in this passage, right? Which is Paul is overflowing with praise. And it doesn't inspire me to praise because I feel, one, too bad for all the people who get left out. And two, if that really is the way that God is, it makes it hard for me to have confidence in my own salvation. Right? Because it's hard for me to have confidence that God is a God of love. I mean, a God who behaves that way is not loving in any meaningful or recognizable sense, at least from my perspective. But there is a way of understanding this passage that doesn't require us to think of God like that. And the key are those two words, in Christ. Paul says that God chose us what? In Christ, before the creation of the world. In Christ, or in Him. And he says that we were predestined to be adopted through Christ, through Jesus Christ. So, this is important. What God chose and predestined before the creation of the world was not who to show grace to and who not to show grace to. What God chose and predestined before the creation of the world was to bring blessing through Christ. That is a subtle distinction, but it makes all the difference in the world. God has always planned to work through His Son to bless the world. God always planned to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth through Jesus. That's what's predestined. Right? So, you and I should not be sitting around wondering, you know, did God predestine me to be saved? And we shouldn't be sitting around wondering, well, did God predestine this person that I love to be saved? 
What we should remember is what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4. It says, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So, what we should be asking is not, am I predestined to be saved? What we should be asking is, am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Because that's what God predestined for every spiritual blessing to come to us through Jesus, through what Jesus has done. Here's an analogy that I like to use. I've used it here before. Uh, an, an analogy of, of what it means to be in Christ. 2,000 years ago, it's kind of like through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, a wave started. You know, think of Christ's life like the earthquake that starts the tsunami. And that wave has been moving throughout history. And we become in Christ when we step into that wave and, and, and we let it wash over us. When we say, I want to get caught up in that wave, I want to stand in its path, and I want Christ's life and teaching to wash over me and kill the old me and then be raised to new life. That's, that's one way of thinking about what it means to be in Christ. You know, something that I find comforting is that Paul doesn't spend time, you know, giving us this long list of requirements before he talks about these blessings for being in Christ, right? He just praises God for all the blessings that we do have in Christ, and then he says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You also were included when you believed. When we say yes to stepping into that wave that Christ started, when we choose to believe in Jesus and to let his life transform ours, we are in Christ. We are caught up in that wave that God has predestined to bring salvation to, the, to creation. So this morning, if you're, you're hearing about all these spiritual blessings and you're asking, are these for me? Don't imagine God in eternity past arbitrarily deciding whether or not he's going to love you. Think of Jesus. Right? Think of Jesus, God in the flesh, Praying for those who are crucifying him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think of Jesus saying, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Think of Jesus saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Think of Jesus. And then move into that wave and let those spiritual blessings crash over you. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for these reminders of your goodness and your love towards us. Lord, we pray that uh, we would live in Christ. Lord, that we would be part of what you're doing to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth through Jesus. Lord, we want to be a part of that. 
Lord, I pray if any of us today have, are just finding ourselves um, not as amazed as we used to be by your goodness and your love, Lord, I pray that Paul's overflowing enthusiasm, 202 words without punctuation, would help us to, to feel again the joy of our salvation and the wonder of what you've done and what you're doing. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.